Now, I have a belief that boss women in the Democrat Party are uniquely unlikable and uniquely vacuous intellectually. As I play this, just a little bit of this clip, and we'll get to the whole thing, just put in your mind, hail to the chief, and just remember that this unbelievably empty woman is a heartbeat away from you know what. And so I think about this subject of our yellow school buses in that regard. Because think about it, yellow school buses are our nation's largest form of mass transit. How about that? So you Todd Herman Show is 100% disapproved by big pharma, technocrats, and tyrants everywhere. Now, from the high mountains of free America, here's the Emerald City Exile, Todd Herman. Today is the day the Lord has made, and these are the times through which God has decided we shall live. Our partners at Soda Weight Loss. Oh, you guys, I got to introduce you to my friend, Ron. I got a note that is both um, unbelievably touching for me and humbling and an honor uh, and a little bit sad. Gentleman I met at our show in uh, in Bothell. In fact, he was the first gentleman I met. I thought about him a lot. Um, the first guy who come, came to greet me after the speech, I thought about him a lot. He has a note. He sent me a note about a number of things, and I'll get back to him personally. But uh, one of them was about his challenge with giving up food as an addiction. Uh, soda weight loss can help with that. I'm incredibly um, thankful for their partnership. I have, uh, I started, to, <laughs> uh, uh, this is where my faith sometimes just absolutely collides with this job and this duty I have with this audience. I wanted so bad to call this Democrat women are all stupid. I, I <laughs> because I just wanted to have some fun making fun of these people because they, 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 they are so insipid. And yet, as I become more kingdom-minded and I try to be more and more diligent about things, I'm reminded that we are, we're told in the Bible, don't, you don't get to call people fools. Because if you call people fools, you've made a judgment that only God gets to make, which is these people are irredeemable, worthless, and we'd be better off without them here. They'd be better, we'd be better off with them dead, which is a judgment God gets to make. And dang it. That takes away a whole lot of judgment juice for me because uh, there's a lot of people that that in my flesh, I believe we'd be a whole lot better off with them all dead. And I confess that now in front of you and the Lord and everybody. Uh, I think this world would be better off with Klaus Schwab dead, with Bill Gates dead. And I don't get to make that judgment. I can have the feelings, but I need to turn those to God. Uh, but the the this long-held belief that's developed with me over the years of being in politics is has manifested into, I do think that boss Democrat women um, in any position of power or influence are the singularly most unlikable, and I mean that in a uniquely disgusting sense, um, and the most vacuous of all human beings in any leadership function ever at any time ever. 
And I can say that in, in perfectly good conscience because I choose female therapists because I happen to think women are better therapists. Two of the most important bosses, well, one of the most important bosses I had in my life. No, I'll take that back. One, two, two of the most important bosses I've had in my life, um, two women who happen to be same-sex attracted and in a partnership, they, they got me out of being a telephone sales guy and brought me into the real world of sales, which brought me in ultimately into radio. They, they trained me uh, to be a good, a good salesperson. Um, they did that for me. And then at Microsoft, a boss I never worked directly for, but right with, had a ton of juice, a ton of power. She taught me so much. Um, and and if my last boss in radio, uh, we had a number of disagreements, Kathy and I, but dang it, I respect her so enormously. Really, she's trying to do some very, very hard things in radio. So I can say with good conscience, I have absolutely no issue working for really powerful women. I chose for the first time ever a female coach. I'm so glad I did because um, the sort of coaching she employs, never had that before. So when I'm talking about these, these women, and it's not just the women in the party, in the Democrat party, and it's not just the party, it's proper, it's the party in whole, that is media, tech, and finance. That's the deep state, it's academia, and big time, big pharma, that's the party. Um, they just have this characteristic across the board. But we're reminded of some things, right? We're reminded that the Lord does not regard the looks of people. I'm just once again re-enjoying the story of Samuel and Saul and King David. I was just reading that again this morning. Um, 1 Samuel 16, verse 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not look at his appearance or the height or his stature because I have rejected him. For God sees not as man sees. For man looks at the outward appearances, but the Lord looks at the heart. And this entire thing is about outward appearances with the Democrats. That's, and this is what happens when you run your leadership selection like a painter paints a painting. What, what color looks good? What texture looks good over here? That's what they've done. And they continue to do, and they are so inhabited by evil that they cannot see through this. Oh, by the way, next hour, a complete change in tone. We are beginning to exact a cost from the left the leftist portion of the party. We need to spread that out and exact a cost from all the party. But there is a national insurance company, big time insurance company, who just got slapped right out of wokeness and into actually being awake. We need to do more of this. We'll talk about this next hour because if we don't, the cost is so heavy. So let's get to the meat of this. This, this astonishment I have at listening to Hoopy Goldberg and, and she makes gobs of millions of dollars for doing what she does. And I, there is no way that this isn't an act. Now, in the case of Hoopy, I don't think it's an act. But the follow-up stuff from the women of The View, it's too scripted. It's too obvious. It's so easy to poke holes in. It's phenomenally interesting to listen to Hoopy Goldberg pretend to understand the Catholic churches. And she even has to turn. The, the, the teleprompter is not enough for her. She has to turn for a paper backup copy 
of the things that she's supposed to say with true meaning and emotion as she educates the people about the fine details of the Constitution's separation of church and state. Because we all remember right there in the Constitution where it says, there shall be a separation of church and state. It's right there in that part of the Constitution that doesn't exist. That Thomas Jefferson preferred and wrote about. Welcome to the view, y'all. The abortion rights battle is starting to blur the lines between church and state. The Archbishop of San Francisco mm, is calling for Speaker Nancy Pelosi to be denied receiving communion because of her pro-choice stance. He's one of the priests who also called for President Biden to be denied sacrament. This is not your job, dude. <laughs> that is not, you can't, that is not up to you to make that decision. You know, what is the saying? It's kind of amazing. Uh, but, you know, what is the point of communion, right? It's for uh, sinners. It's the, she's, for the, she's for picked sinners. this all up a piece of paper. It's the reward of saints, but the bread of sinners. How dare you? How dare you? That is, <laughs> if Pope Francis says that that's the issue. but <laughs> That's not your job, dude. It's, it is actually specifically his job, dude, to reach over for a piece of paper because the teleprompter's gone too fast and you don't get to say on TV, hey, can you roll back a few lines? I lost what I'm supposed to feel deeply about. I, I don't know what I'm, I'm supposed to feel deeply about. So she has to reach over for the piece of paper to back her up on this. Now, mind you, that of course, there's no state involved here. <laughs> the separation of church and state, there's no state involvement. The state did not go to the Bishop of San Francisco and say, deny Nancy Pelosi um, communion. And, and just also be mindful of the fact that that woman there, Hoopy, has also read lines on this program where she says it's the government's right to tell parents, oh, heck yeah. Heck yeah. You're going to be forced to call your little girl a boy. Heck yeah, you're going to be forced to take your 11-year-old girl and shoot her up with 2,000 times the amount of testosterone that belongs in her body. That's what the state gets to do. That this is state power gets to say, no, 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 you will pay for abortions. This is, and these thoughts exist in, in Hoopy's mind, and we are not to call her a fool. But we can look at her at, at her behaviors, and we can be discerning of 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 her influence. What's so fascinating to me about this period of time is how spot on it is to everything the Bible says about leaving people to their own devices. And I don't think that the God of the universe is without the ability to sit and be amused. Now this is extra biblical. So this is me making stuff up. This is my, just my, my, perhaps it's even a horrible form of wish casting about the, the creator of the universe. But if we find this stuff funny, can you imagine how God, who sees this all ends, how it all ends, can be sitting here going, wow, that woman actually has no, uh, and he knows the ending, which means we need to be careful in our own hearts because he knows our foolishness. And he could be sitting there right now in heaven going, mm, Todd, you're so far off, bud. Nice try, but so far off. We need to have our own hearts open for this. So it's not just Hoopy, though. 
And this is the part where this begins to transcend the possibility that these women genuinely feel these things. Because I don't believe that you can speak words that are multisyllabic and actually be so completely unaware of how easy this is going to be to just shred everything that they're being caused to say here. Ladies and gentlemen, the fine, smart, upstanding, respectable women of The View follow on with Hoopy Goldberg's statements. They will fight for this cause and yet they will allow people that have been abused by the leaders in their communities, they will shove those stories aside and continue to protect their own in the name of the PR of the church. That is disgusting to me. They have paid $4 billion or more in settlement claims Mm -hmm. for pedophilia. Mm -hmm. So if you want to protect children, Archbishop, instead of sheltering pedophilia, uh, you know, pedophile priests, instead of moving them to other churches without telling the community, instead of protecting them, you should be protecting the children who go get Catholic education. Okay. (laughs) This is the same group of women who, number one, told us there's no grooming. Look, um, there's, do you know what? She's a little bit like Fauci, Hoopy. Sounds a little bit like Fauci. They told us there's no grooming, but on their own network, they had a young boys who dress as girls come out and twerk for the thrilling excitement of their audience who felt um, that... You know, that Chris Matthews thrill in their groin or, or shiver up their legs, up the inside of their legs, that Bill Clinton-esque attraction to the youngins. Uh, how old are you? They did this on their, their own. All right, you're 16, a little old for me. They, they did this on their own network. Furthermore, once it became clear that the grooming videos were not going to stop coming, that the libs of TikTok got un- TikTok got unbanned by Jack Dorsey's hate machine. I guess Zach's, Jack's not there anymore. The former Jack Dorsey's hate machine. Then they began spinning this as they're just talking about, they're just teaching kids safe touch. And then when that became untenable, then it was, well, this is just anti-gay. You just, you just hate the gays. So let's go back into what they just said. Not all, okay, I want to be so careful about this because it goes to um, speck in my neighbor's eye and log in my eye. There are plenty of gay people who find the libs of TikTok videos uh, disgusting, who don't believe that sexuality belongs in any way, shape, matter, idea, faction, or form in the school. And of course, most gay people are not in any sense pedophilic being same-sex attracted and having that as your particular sin problem does not make you a pedophile, just as being an adulterer or an adulteress does not make you a pedophile if you have that particular sin problem. And I've been all over the Catholic Church for the refusal to get these men out of the church. Um, Sinners belong in church, but they don't belong running churches. And most of this abuse has come from gay men. Many of whom in the 50s and 60s joined the Catholic Church to be in leadership because it was a place where young men not having wives was normalized because, of course, their wife was the church. Now, you can be a same-sex attracted priest 
And you can give that particular um, fleshly desire to the Lord. You can take that thought captive. You can ask the Lord to, to deal with it and you be honest in your prayers. Hey, Lord, I don't want these attractions to go away. I enjoy the feeling and yet I know there's sin and I'm asking you to help me deal with these. You can do that successfully just as you can be. A, 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 um, a, a priest who is, um, who is opposite sex attracted, who's heteronormative, and you can go your entire career without violating your word as a priest to not engage in sexual relations. That's all doable, but this is not what has happened in the Catholic Church. Now, just again, think of this from the view's perspective. Well, they don't have a perspective, but think of it from the perspective of the script writers of the view. If the Catholic Church was to go through wholesale and kick the men out who had been abusing children or grooming children or getting too close to children or being found with pedophilic materials, if they went through and did a wholesale uh, removal of those men, we would have then an episode of The View where Hoopy Goldberg would come out and say, the lines between church and state are being view, are being crossed again. The Catholic Church is kicking gay men out of the church. How dare they do this? And she would go back through a very similar rant so they're so easily caught up in the comparison of what they are caused to say, or in the case of Hoopy, I think just says, and what, the, what they've said one week ago or two weeks ago. So why is it that Democrat women, liberal women, are so uniquely vacuous and seem to be just devoid of any form of self-reflection? Well, when your job performance starts with what parts do you have, and ends with what parts do you have because there's no accountability. Well, there's your government gig. There's your Cammie Harris. There's your Deb Holland. And we can go, and there's your Rochelle Walensky. <laughs> and we can roll this game all day long. There's your Diane Feinstein. There's your Hillary Clinton. Hillary is smart. To be clear, she's scheming and evil, but lacks any form of self-awareness. And where her smarts break down is where it rubs up against what she thinks of us. She has absolutely no awareness of who we are because she's completely immunized from that. But that's what happens. Now, in media, the phenomena of the view, I think, plays to this phenomena. It is this. My emotions are my expertise. I feel a thing. I feel it's wrong. And I go to the view and they tell me, yes, you're right, it's wrong. And they use platitudes like Hoopy's using there without any basis in any form of context, such as we can go quote the canons of the Catholic Church that are prohibitive of, of abortion that call it a grave sin. We can point to the duties of a bishop, which include making sure that people who take communion are in good stead. We can quote any Bible-observing church that is, that is adherent to the Bible, says to people, taking communion, you need to be right with God as you do that. 
If you have sins you've not confessed, you need to you need to confess the sins. If you've wronged a brother or sister, you need to go do what you can to mend that wrong. And if you are living in an unrepentant way, so you are continuing to sin and you're in open rebellion against God, and Nancy Pelosi is in open rebellion against God constantly, and by the way, taking his name in vain constantly, that doesn't just mean that you say the GD word. She applies to God things that God does not agree with, that God, that, that, that abortion is a sacrament. So the, the Catholic faith is very, very clear. And so are other biblically oriented, biblically observant, biblically strict churches. Communion is for people who've accepted Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior. They are attempting to follow Christ to the best of their ability. They're teaching others to do the same to not be an open rebellion. So they could do all of this, but that's not the view's job. The view's job is to give people an outlet so they can take their very, very strong feelings and emotions and have them validated in a way that they can come off and go, oh gosh, I knew I was right. I knew this was a violation of church and state. I knew that that bishop doesn't get to do that. I knew it. I just knew it. Mm-hmm. It was 400 bars of soap that Alan's Artisan Soaps brought to our event. Let me ask you a question. What will it take to get everybody in this audience to try soap. And here's, I'll be candid with you. As we looked at this partnership with Allen's Artisan Soaps, one of the things that came up is that soap is a very personal thing. That never occurred to me. Being a guy who, you know, I, I, my wife cuts my hair and has grown into doing a very good job. And, and my, my wife buys me jeans for, for Christmas um, and once every like three years, I'll ask for a pair of jeans and I wear a very similar black t-shirt all the time. I love my rogue shirts. So I don't put a, a tremendous amount of stock in, in how I look. Yeah. I put oil in my beard. I wear a, a, a you know, kind of scraped up old hat most of the time. And this is a change for me. I used to be very, very protective of how I looked and it was ego. And I've just, I've, I, the Lord has stomped out my ego, kicked me in the teeth. So it never occurred to me how intimate soap is. But let me ask again the question, what would it take to get everybody to try Allen's Artisan Soaps? Let me go through the explanation real quick on the product. Um, they, they weren't soap experts when they started this company. John is Allen's dad. Allen is the young man so deeply, um, really radically affected by autism and some serious structural health concerns. But he want, knew he wanted his son to work. Alan works. He knew he wanted his son to have respect. Well, I respect Alan because of his work and because of his creativity and the creation of these soaps. But they went and they tapped a family back east who's been creating soaps for three generations. And they listened to the business plan and said, we're in. Absolutely. You're going to use the labor of people who the party would say, boredom. They're useless eaters. And this family fell in love with the missions of the mission of Alan's Artisan Soaps. Then you get to, yes, the very, very unique uh, you know, forms of these soaps. This is where I think it gets intimate. So let me just suggest this as a way to try this because you're betting on life. You're betting on respect for life. You are trying something that the world must begin to try or the World Economic Forum wins. 
Then they come along and convince everybody that the young men like Alan are in fact useless eaters. Try the subscription service, okay? Because it comes with six bars of soap, a soap rack, a soap pouch, and a fluff, all at a 10% savings. In this way, you can experiment with the soaps. Your family can experiment with the soaps. You can get down to the ones you like. And again, if you don't like it, we never, ever want you to purchase a product from this podcast because of the podcast. Never do that. But what would it take to get you guys to try that, to bet on life? Here's the website. It's allensoaps.com slash Todd. A-L-A-N-S, soaps.com slash Todd. 10% savings for life should you continue with the uh, subscription plan. Allensoaps.com slash Todd. It used to be that we would read information and then form, we would read information, form an opinion on it, and then from that opinion, experience feelings, and then be exposed to different forms of information that sometimes would impact our feelings in such a way that we need, we would need to rethink that stuff. And that's the way that information uptake used to work. In the era of The View and in the era of Jack Dorsey's algorithm and Mark Zuckerberg's algorithm and programming for clickbait, that no longer is the case. People are given feelings. Here's how you should feel. And then clicking over, here's our feelings. And then reading further down, here's some carefully selected data points that can allow you to feel even more firmly these feelings. And this goes straight back to Common Core. In Common Core, they had people, young kids, develop an opinion about something. Except it wasn't an opinion. Because they would tell a story from one point of view. What is your opinion? No, you can't have an opinion. You can only have feelings because there's no context. Does that sound familiar? That there's no context. The the party, the Great Reset, that's the game. Feelings and no context. Fear and no context. That the COVID flu will, will kill everybody. Really? No. Well, but we can't have you have that context. What's happening in the classrooms that we found out because of the lockdowns, where, or many of us knew, that's the context. So it's to their advantage to have women, and it's particularly women because the Democrat party, that portion of the party, the leftist portion of the party, they are the misogynists. And, and let's go through and prove the point. Ted Kennedy, the lion of the party, was a rapist. He and Chris Dodd, that infamous waitress sandwich episode. The entire Kennedy clan saved Bobby Kennedy right, with all their sexual abuse problems. William Jefferson Blythe Clinton III, Jeffrey Epstein. Oh, by the way, The View, the, you guys, your network had the Epstein th- story and you spiked it. I forgot that. You totally spiked the Epstein stories. You're talking about protecting your own. Now, certainly, there's all sorts of problems with the Republican Party, but it extends in the Democrat Party. You want misogyny? You're a woman arrested for a drug crime. And we're told by the left that drug crimes uh, have no victims. You're put into jail. We have vid- uh, audio of Cammie Harris laughing about jailing parents whose kids were truant. 
you know, parents of color giggling, <laughs> giggling at the top of her lungs about that. So let's say you're one of those parents. You're a woman and you can't get your troubled kids to go to school on time and you're trying to hold down two jobs. Cami Harris finds out she slaps you in a jail cell and all of a sudden you're in a jail cell with a dude and the dude is fully intact and the dude decides to rape you and Cami Harris comes back and go, that's not legitimate rape. That's a lady penis. <laughs> that's misogyny. That comes from the top of the Democrat party, this form of misogyny. Stealing women's trophies and scholarships and jobs and board seats and historic achievements. And it's just phenomenal. So it plays to their advantage to have people like Cammie Harris, vice president of the United States, the most popular presidential ticket in the history of the United States of America, 80 million votes. More than Barack Hussein Obama, mm, 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 thank you, Rush, and more than Donald Trump. The most popular duo in the history of American politics, Cami Harris, ladies and gentlemen, on the topic of the importance of the vital need to recognize these. And so I think about this subject of our yellow school buses in that regard. Because think about it, yellow school buses are our nation's largest form of mass transit. How about that? Every day. So, yes, and let's applaud because they get somewhere they need to go. <laughs> and every day, then think about this in terms of the numbers. Every day in our country, more than 25 million children ride to and from school <laughs> on our nation's fleet of school buses. Man, I, I have seen this so many times. I'm going to tell you what I am. I am 97.89% certain happened. Cammy didn't take her briefing meeting because Cammy's busy. I don't know. Maybe Willie Brown was in town, needed a tune up. So Cammy's busy doing Cammy things. And I remember watching the view. She doesn't take her briefing meeting. Cammy is put in a car by the people who run Cammy. Cammy's taken to an event and she knows it's about schools, but that's all she knows. Cammy is given a statement and, and from the teleprompter. And Cammy is looking at this and realizing at that moment, whatever intelligence somehow operates within the vessel that is Cammy Harris or the product that is Cammy Harris. And, and you know, thank goodness she's able to remember that she's now African-American when early she, earlier she had been Indian-American. But she's reading the teleprompter and she's realizing, oh my gosh, this is what I'm doing? I'm, I'm, I'm here talking about school buses? That's why she starts adding me. Think about this. No, I think about this. I think about this a lot. And I want you to think about it. Think about it. She's trying to add artificial importance to this. She's trying to take something that is the most menial of, of ideas that, yes, the school buses are yellow. And, yep, kids sit in those. And she's trying to add import to this because she realizes that, once again, the people who run Joe Biden have shuffled her off into a, a, a space from which there's no recovery. And how'd she get there? Well, she serviced Willie Brown sexually. And I know we're not to say that, but she did. 
up until the point that Willie Brown got her her first big job. Then she stopped servicing Willie, we'd think. And she became heinously self-obsessed, doing whatever she needed to do to get more power, such as jailing parents whose kids were truant. She, she, she was told, you're going to take on the people who have the abortion videos, the, the Center for Medical Integrity, you're going to take them on and you're going to use the power of the attorney general's office to attack filmmakers. And she said, ha, 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 okay. <laughs> and she did it. It's to the advantage of the party in so many ways, the leftist portion of the party to only care about parts because when they only care about parts, you have women who only care about their parts. You can't have a functioning party of authoritarians the way this party is structured and have people have any intellectual integrity because at some point or another, Cammie Harris is going to go, I'm not giving a speech about yellow school buses. Or you're going to have someone who's actually more interested in her day that she's going to sit down and look at her briefing a week ahead of time and go, no, I'm not going to a yellow school bus thing. I'm not going to give a speech about yellow school buses. You give me something of weight. You give me something of import. You have me talk about the schools are under attack from right-wing extremists and domestic terrorists. You have me do that. You give me a sob story. You give me a hero story. You give me something I can pimp because I'm not going to go talk about yellow school buses. But Cami Harris... She's the perfect creature for these times and this era and what the leftist portion of the party has become and how they treat women. I'm reminded as I speak those words, we took a meeting with our, uh, our partners in American financing and they're all women, all of them. And they were so helpful in explaining why this company is so good. Yeah, see, I mean, you, when I'm doing a show like this, what really happens to me is I begin to reflect upon women in my life and women with whom I do business. And I'm just thinking about this, that when we did our initial phone call and follow-up phone call, and as we continue to track the progress of our relationship with American Financing and AmericanFinancing.net, everybody on that call was a woman. And they're all in leadership positions. Now, this is a fact about American Financing, AmericanFinancing.net. They employ people because of their capabilities. This is how they've ended up with a completely diverse workforce. Now, let me understand what diverse, let me explain what diversity means to them. Diversity means to them that you are a diverse group of people intellectually, from capability perspective, where you live, your religion, your faith, um, the melanin level of your skin, the, the way you speak, although they're all English speakers, uh, primarily. And you have all of that diversity, but it comes at the head point of, okay, that's all fantastic. Can you do the job? Can you be one of the employees who lasts with us for 15 or 20 years? Because American Financing and AmericanFinancing.net is a 20-year family-owned mortgage bank, national mortgage bank. And what they're doing now is so very important given the state of the economy and where the party has put things. So they will offer you, and they're offering it through me, a free mortgage review. This is a little bit of an investment in your time. Not much, much more on their end. You go to AmericanFinancing.net, you can apply there or you can call them. I'm going to give you the phone number in just a second. 
You can call them and say, hey, I want to get the free mortgage review. Here's what they're going to do. I give you my word on this because I've seen it now multiple times. They're going to look at you. Maybe it's a cash out refinance. Maybe you need to pay off really high mortgage rate bills that the party has you in. They'll do it. If they can do it, they'll do it. And they can get it done in 10 days, often below 10 days, usually 10 days. And they don't charge upfront fees and they're saving people up to a thousand bucks a month. But the way the economic winds are shifting and the, what the party has done to our economy, to me, there is a shelf, there's an expiration date on this moment. So it's worth your time, absolutely no brainer to call them and get the free mortgage review. If they can help you, they'll tell you how much, how much money they can save you or, or, or provide to you in the form of cash out or they'll tell you they can't, that you're sitting pretty, so you'll know. It's 866-887-2275. or visit AmericanFinancing.net. AmericanFinancing.net. NMLS 182-334, NMLS Consumer Access. It plays to their advantage to have people like Cammie Harris. And on the topic of smart women, on the topic that it doesn't need to be um, these women of The View or Cammie Harris or Dianne Feinstein. Listen to this in one line. And I wish I could remember the name of this congressman. He is, oh my goodness. Uh, (laughs) I guess I'll have to do a show on Democrat men. This is uh, the woman, and I, I constantly get her name wrong. Oh, that's why. It's because it's, it's two last names. Catherine Glenn Foster is her name. Um, she has an MA and a JD. She's president and CEO of Americans United for Life. Now, Cami Harris has a law degree, too. So does Diane Feinstein, I think. They all do. Um, but she has intelligence, and she has integrity. And in this, this clip, this, this, this Democrat's trying to nail her. And she does the most clever turn on this. I love this. This is in next hour, we're going to talk about exacting a cost. Because the left and the sexual left has been tromping on our necks for about a decade. And people have been afraid of being called um, homophobic. And now it's whatever trans means, which is nothing transphobic. Being called that. And we got we got scared of being called racist. And then people for some time are scared of being called a conspiracy theory or a COVID denier or a climate denier. All of these names that really mean, wait a minute, you don't agree with us. Therefore, you're dangerous. Now it's purveyor of disinformation. Now it's that. It's all these things. So they've been allowed to ride cost free. They've been allowed to walk into businesses. You know, this is the way the swindle works in, in um, the separate country of Washington. If you're a small business owner, here's how it works. Imagine that you are serving lunch at your bakery and um, people coming in, they're getting your fresh bread and sandwiches and people walk in with a pride flag and a Black Lives Matter flag and they stand in line and they get up there and in the sound, uh, within the hearing of everybody, they say, hi, here's your Black Lives Matter flag and your pride flag. Where do you want us to hang them? And it's Seattle. So every head turns to you. What do you say? Oh, I'll have to get the manager. Okay, we'll wait. And the manager steps up. Hey, we brought your pride flag and your Black Lives Matter Incorporated flag. Where should we put them? Um, what do you do? 
If you're in Seattle, yeah, you can say, you know, guys, we don't do that. Oh, so black lives don't matter and, and you hate gays. And every head in the cafes turns to you. Every head in that bakery. That's how the left has done us in the separate country of Seattle. That's how they're going to do you at your business if we don't begin to exact the cost. Now, I, I trust that people listening to this podcast will say, no, they're not going to do me that way. Because I already show. No, we're not going to back the leftists or the party. Everybody who comes into my shop is going to know that. So they're not going to do me that way. And I believe that about you. I've met you guys. But listen to this woman, Catherine Glenn Foster, turn this on this hapless. Oh, Jamie Horesi. Is that his name? Jamie or it's Jamie Horesi or Jaime Horesi. She turns this on him. It is so utterly well done. Is candidly and openly calling for a nationwide ban on all abortions with no exceptions for rape or incest. And if I've got that wrong, I would invite Ms. Foster to correct me. Do I have it wrong, yes or no? Um, if we added rape and incest exceptions, would you vote for it? <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I reclaim my time, of course. Don't, uh, don't, just stupid, stupid IQ. Stupid smart women with their stupid smart women questions. It's not fair. That's thing of beauty. It's called make them live in the world they're creating. It's called, hey, it's your reality. Y'all, you created this. This is what y'all wanted. You like living in it? Next hour, we're going to talk about ways to get them to live in the world they're creating. And, and look, it, it started a revolution. It did. It really did. When people began going into school boards and reading the curricula to the school board members, that started a revolution. And what was it? It was making them live in the world they're creating. We need to do this. We talked in uh, Bothell. I, I, I haven't talked about this enough of getting comfortable being uncomfortable. That's a very, very important thing for us. We need to be comfortable being uncomfortable. I want to up the ante on the school board stuff. Um, next hour, we're going to talk about exacting costs. If you cannot get your kids out of the government schools, and, and I, I think that far more people can than they know. I think that probably 95% of people can get their kids out of the government schools if we will open our minds and our hearts, and if we will form community and build a parallel society, I believe we can do that. But I want to up the ante in a very significant way. And that is going into parent-teacher discussions. And this is something I think is vital. In parent-teacher discussions, when you get the teachers alone in a room, if they're good quality teachers, they're going to be fine telling you the truth. So ask them, hey, I need to ask you a question. Um, how do you feel? about these lessons telling kids that they're neither boy nor girl. I mean, what's your professional opinion of telling kids they're neither boy nor girl? What's your professional opinion about books like Gender Queer that teach boys it's a good thing to provide oral sex to people in seventh grade because it's experimentation? What do you think of, of books like that? And what's your professional opinion? If you get anything other than they're disgusting, it doesn't belong in classrooms. I will never teach it. We have a thing in our district where this has been pushed. I've absolutely pushed against it, and I'd appreciate your support on that. If you get anything other than that, and particularly if you get the, um, 
that's not accurate. That's not happening. Or you get the, well, I think there's an issue of homophobia. And I just want to be blunt. I think we disagree on this. And I think there's an issue of homophobia. You now have an open doorway. Okay. And the open doorway is one I really beg us to walk straight through. All right. I'll explain that in a second. We'll wrap this stuff up with Joe Biden and why he's so convenient to the party. And then the example to end all examples of the stupidity of, well, the end result of hiring people because of their parts. I do want to ask you something we haven't asked in a long time. I recently at church ran into people who listen to my Seattle program and listened to me on Rush Limbaugh, on Rush's show, God rest Rush. Um, and they didn't know about the podcast. And I've been going to that church for two years. And they, first of all, many of them didn't know I attended the church, which makes me unbelievably happy. I love that. I love that so much because I'm just one of the many members of the church. Um, so I, I do not ever want the, oh, you go here because I'm just a dude, just like everybody else. Um, and it was really instructive to me because once they found out we had the podcast, they said, oh my gosh, I got to subscribe to this. And we find this time and time and time again that there are people who listen to either the Seattle show or listen to the um, listen to me when I filled in for Rush and they simply don't know the podcast exists. I will tell you our experience with this. When people who heard us on the Seattle show or listened to us for a decade over there or nearly a decade or listened to us on Rush's program, when they find out about the podcast, they take the podcast on. And in 95% of cases, I'm sure there's people who tune into the podcast and way too much God stuff, I'm out. Um, but 95% of the people who write us notes say, oh my gosh, I love the fact that you can speak absolutely freely. I know there's no big company hanging over your head. I know it's just us. So would you please do us a favor and make an effort to share the show, to evangelize the show, to recruit people to listen to the show. It'll help the show thrive and survive. You can survive before you thrive. The Lord's taking care of that, but thriving would be great. Here's the ask. So you're in the classroom or you're in the meeting and it's the private meeting with the parents and the school and the teacher. And the teachers open that doorway by saying, oh yeah, I, I, I think there's homophobia. So I'm going to teach this stuff. You now have an open doorway anytime you want to. And this is what I'm asking you to do. This is on the topic of making these people live in the world they've created. The next time you have a private discussion with that teacher and the door shuts and she says, so, um, Anything you want to start with uh, before we get into the review of um, Heather and Harry's uh, performance? Yes. Um, do you masturbate? And you're going to get the most blank stare ever. You're going to get a red face. You're going to get anger. And your job is to sit there with the poker face because it's completely normal. And you're going to get, a, oh, oh, this is completely inappropriate. Why? Why? It's just bodies. What sexual positions do you prefer? They're going to end the meeting. In fact, let's not just do this in private meetings. Let's take this into the school boards now. They're asking our kids. Anything that's in the curricula that they give our kids is fair game for us to take to them. Anything and everything. And it's almost, well, it is in fact our duty to do this. 
Make them live in the world they're creating. All of this fits together so very, very well because of the guy who gets to be the figurehead at the top of this whole entire pyramid of swindle. This is such a gorgeous piece. And this is one of the reasons why, despite my frustration with Jack Dorsey's hate machine, I can't give it up because you get to have stuff like this at your fingertips. This is a Wayback Machine stuff. I'm pretty sure that uh, our friend Sean Hannity has this clip. So I didn't lift it from Sean. In fact, I heard it once on Sean's show. Where'd you get that? Here I have it. This man, Biden, has always been a rank liar. So it's to their advantage to surround him with people who are just there because of their parts. I went to law school on a full academic scholarship. The only one in my in my class uh, to have a full academic scholarship. Went back to law school and, in fact, ended up in the top half of my class. I was the outstanding student in the political science department at the end of my year. I graduated with three degrees from undergraduate school and 165 credits, only 123 credits. Biden now concedes he did not graduate in the top half of his law school class, that he does not have three degrees from college, and that he was not named outstanding political science student in college. Newsweek says Biden actually went to school on a half scholarship, ended up near the bottom of his class, and won only one degree, not three. Joe Biden ranked 76th in a class of 85 at the University of Syracuse Law School. I mean, this guy comes off this whole thing as a flyweight. Now Biden says Newsweek is right. His memory had failed him. And I'd be delighted to sit down and compare my IQ to yours if you'd like to. <laughs> it is the web of lies that the Lord is revealing in all its disgusting unglory. Man, it's good stuff that the God, that God is doing. And it's serious stuff because this turns us right back around to Hoopy Goldberg. Here is that same congenital liar being asked about monkeypox, which right now is a problem for um, same-sex attracted men who have anal sex with one another. What if your health advisors told you your level of concern to be about monkeypox in the cases that are in the United States and around the world? Well, they haven't told me the level of exposure yet, but it is something that everybody should be concerned about. No. We're working on it hard, figure out what we do and what uh, vaccine, if any, may be available for. But it is a concern in the sense that if it were to spread, it's consequential. That's all they've told me. They're not going to tell you anymore. You're a figurehead. And then there's this before we get to this very, very touching email, but also, now I'll explain it. This is Deb Holland. She's the interior secretary. This is a really simple question, and it speaks so well to the sorts of people that the Democrats, the leftist portion of the party, are putting into these positions. Deb Holland is asked a very simple question. Which is better for the economy? For us to produce our oil here, and therefore only have to ship it around our country, right? So it's produced here, it's refined here, and it's used here. Or getting it from Venezuela, where it's produced and then brought over here on massive container ships at the cost of massive amounts of energy. And by the way, using their environmental standards, not ours, ours are much more strict, Far more strict in Venezuela's. So what is better for the environment? And this is Senator Hyde Smith asking this of the hapless 
Deb Holland, another person in leadership because of her parts. Is it more environmentally friendly to develop and produce oil and gas resources off the coast of Louisiana, or is it more environmentally friendly to develop those resources, say, in Venezuela or in another country abroad in terms of emissions, in terms of climate? Um, Senator, what I can say is that um, I think here in our country, we care deeply about workers. Uh, But that's not my question. My question is, what has the lowest emissions profile using Louisiana or American workers in the outer continental shelf off the Gulf with American companies and American regulations or Venezuelan standards and Venezuelan crude? Senator, I'm I'm not an economist or an engineer or a scientist, um, but with respect, I'm almost out of time, and I and I get a sense that this question is not going to be answered straightforwardly. No offense. <laughs> oh, that's perfect. It wraps it up so well. Thank you, Lord. She doesn't know. She's an empty head. She is a whiteboard. They can write on her whatever they need to write on her. She's comfy, manipulable. She does as she's told. Because instinctually she knows she has no game. It's perfect. And so is this. What does she do? She refers to the authorities. She plays the appeal to authority game. And next hour, we're going to talk about the ultimate end of appeal to authority. See, she says, I'm not a scientist or an economist. Only they know these things. You know who are scientists and economists? The people at the World Economic Forum. Now it's going under the skin. Governments want to know not just where we go or who we meet. Above all, they want to know what is happening under our skin. What's our body temperature? What's our blood pressure? What, what is our medical condition? Now humans are developing even bigger powers than ever before. We are really acquiring divine powers of creation and destruction. We are really upgrading humans into gods. We are acquiring, for instance, the, the power to re-engineer life. We'll talk about that next hour. That's what happens if we don't exact a cost. I do remember this meeting at our event in Bothell. Hey, Todd. Oh, hello, Todd. It was great to meet you at the event Friday night. I was the first one to meet you after your talk with my two boys, Reagan and Max. I was the big guy in the purple shirt who got choked up when I met you. I truly mean it when I say it was an honor to meet you. I'm not one who's interested in celebrities or famous people, but I get emotional when I met you because I believe I know your heart and your principles. I've listened to you from almost the beginning and finally meeting you was like being reunited with an old friend. Your radio show, and even more so now, your podcast, it's like we're distant pen pals in which I get five to 10 letters a week from you, and I nod and sometimes talk back to my radio in agreement. I've never written in before because I'm sure you get thousands of messages and couldn't possibly respond to all of them. Your unexpected embrace of me will be something I won't forget. It confirmed the kindness and character I've come to know you um, by as my friend, even though we'd never met. As I said last night, we connected on so many levels, I feel like I know you. So many of the qualities that I strive for in my life are recognizing you. First, you're humble and like me are a flawed Jesus needer who picks up his cross daily and engages in battle of spirit over flesh. 
I recognize the loyalty to those around you whom you love and the strength and ferocity that comes out when faced with a situation where they would need to be protected. I also see the dichotomy of our vulnerability and and gentleness. I think we both battle to control our righteous anger and model the patience and kindness of Christ. After graduating with an electrical engineering degree, I started my career in tech sales as an engineer, but was then called into ministry, taking a job at the church for less than half the pay of my previous career. I've been the business director at my church for the past 14 years, a life-changing step of faith, and I can tell you about that someday. And yes, I've wrestled with my weight, pardon me, my worthiness to pursue a pastoral position as well, who both know that it is not our righteousness, but fully his righteousness in us that it would ever allow us to take that step. I also have family members, my twin sister that I love and struggle to prevent our disagreements from damaging our relationship. I've listened to your Friday podcast about this twice. Thank you for stepping out in faith on this topic. And finally, I'm a brother who, like you and your dad, has struggled with my weight my whole life. I've lost this battle may more than I've won, but I draw encouragement from you to see how you have succeeded. You're partnering with Soda. I've thought about looking into it, but the fear of change and financial commitment that I'm sure it will require keeps me on the fence. I don't know what it's about, food, what it is about food. In every aspect of my life, I feel that I'm succeeding in control. I know illusion of control. I see where I want to be and should be. Make a plan and go for it. Of course, I realize I can improve in all aspects of my life, but this is the one area of my life I've consistently failed. I want to lose weight, but when it comes to giving up the foods I love and the happy social family events that the food is inextricably connected to, I don't see a path to success. Food brings me happiness, both emotionally and chemically. And yes, I'm an addict or I sound like an addict. So this is why I've faltered a thousand times. You're good at reading listeners' notes, so I hope you find time to read this. Whether this leads to further communication with us or not, I want you to know that you're playing a very important role in God's plan. I'm praying for you and your family. Keep up proclaiming God's truth in Christ, Ron. Ron, so much to say to this. Um, I embraced you because we're friends, and you looked troubled. And I enjoyed the embrace as well. Brothers need to be okay doing that. And we get from each other. You are part of the body of Christ. So we were just embracing as part of the body of Christ, right? And, and there was no question I was going to do that. And the topic of your, of your weight, number one, as we said earlier today, the Lord does not look at your, at your body size or your face. He looks at your heart. Sounds to me like you've got a far better heart than I have. And Ron, the spirit controls the flesh. And man does not live by food alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of the Lord. Um, I hear you recognizing that you need to drop that fat from your body. And brother, I'm speaking to you out of love. Those boys love you. I saw the way they looked at you. They admire you, sir. They need you. The fat on your body is a risk to your health. And it's a tax in your system. And it's so hard so hard. There's a cost to partnering with soda. And this isn't a commercial. There is. And there's a cost to keeping that weight on your frame. The cost of the weight on your frame is going to be much more than dropping it. I would ask you this. If that's the one thing that you can't seem to give up, I don't believe it's a sin. I do believe this. That if you can, through the glory of God, overcome this and to the glory of God overcome it and regard it as cleaning up the temple 
And regard us as an opportunity to truly put your spirit in charge of your flesh. You win. But much more, you get to proclaim God's work in your life again. I would ask his help in this. And on the topic of food with friends, my dear brother, I have a ritual. I did it again this weekend. I go eat tons of pizza and tons of Caesar salad. I haven't given up anything like that. And I've kept 150 pounds off. And it was hard. And it was difficult. And I remember, I remember being in your circumstance, my brother, but not being as articulate about it. That was a beautiful note. It was so good to meet you. Thank you for offering me the hug. Next hour, it is time for us to exact a cost. And people are beginning to do it. We'll talk about that. This is the Todd Herman Show. We so appreciate you. Please go be well, be strong, be kind. And as always, let's make sure that we are all, at all times, mindful of our Holy Father, how much he loves us, and how he will never stop pursuing us. 